John 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful to you for the Word of God, for another privilege that we have this side of eternity to preach your Word. And Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the power of God. Lord, we need your power. We need your wisdom and understanding. And I pray, O oh God, as we bring this message that the Holy Spirit direct uh, my thoughts and my words that the Lord Jesus may be honored. Speak to every heart today. May we leave here a better servant for you. I pray you'd meet the need of each one. And Lord, uh, thank you that we're saved. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to know you. Not just know about you, but know the reality of a living God. Lord, I'm glad you're real. I pray you'd bless our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to you on the subject of winter. The Bible said it was winter. God made winter, according to Psalm 74, 17. Thy set all the borders of the earth. Thou hast made summer and winter. Winter will be in the tribulation, according to Mark 13, 18. And he says, pray you that your flight be not in the winter. As he talks about the Jews fleeing from the Antichrist. Winter will continue into the millennium. In Zechariah 14, verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. Half of them toward the former sea, which would be the Dead Sea. And half of them toward the Hinder Sea, which would be the Mediterranean Sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And then winter will continue as long as the earth. Genesis 8, 22, after the flood there, uh, God promised Noah, he said, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So that takes care of the old saying, before the Lord comes, you can't tell summer from winter. I hear that. I've heard that. If I've heard it one time, I've heard it a hundred times or more, especially if we have a, uh, in the wintertime, if we have a time when it's, uh, you know, it'll turn warm and get up in the 70s or so. People say, you know, it's just like the Bible says, before the Lord comes back, you won't be able to tell one season from another. You won't be able to tell summer from winter. And uh, I've had people tell me that's in the Bible. I've read it. I know it's there. But no one's ever showed it to me. I've never read it. I've read the Bible through several times. I've never read it myself, personally. I don't believe it's in there. If you can find it, I stand to be corrected. But I don't think you'll find it. In fact, if you found that, I think you'd have a contradiction in the Bible because the Bible said here, instead of that happening, as long as the earth remaineth, summer and winter 
would not cease. So winter is a creation of God and will continue as long as the earth. Now, why did God make winter? Uh, I don't particularly like winter. Some people love the winter. I'm not particularly fond of wintertime. My season, I love the spring. That's my time of the year. I just like to see everything come into life. And uh, some people like the fall. I like the fall all right, but not as good as I do the spring. Seem like in the fall, everything's a dying. And in the wintertime, everything looks dead. It's really not dead. Uh, but uh, it has the appearance of death. And, uh, but you know, uh, God made winter for a purpose. And as he did everything. And it not only, uh, you know, has to do with, with the earth and, and all, but there are spiritual lessons I hope we can learn today as we think about this subject of winter. About four things, there are other things we could talk about, but about four things I'd like to deal with about this subject and why God made winter. First of all, for relaxation or for rest. Now, during the spring and summer, the trees are putting on buds and the leaves come out and, and, uh, and of course, all that, they are taking in sunlight and water and food and, and, uh, and uh, causing the tree to grow or the shrub or whatever it may be. And if you will examine a tree, you cut down a tree, you'll find that there are rings inside of that tree. And every one of those rings represents a year's growth. Y'all know how old a tree is? Count those rings and you will find out how old that tree is. And every year it's growing. Not only growing, uh, you know, in diameter, but uh, the limbs are growing and some trees grow quite, uh, quite fast. I planted some trees, I guess I planted them five years ago or so, and those trees are unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, uh, one of those trees is probably 30 feet high now. It's a hybrid poplar, and uh, it grows real fast. It grows, uh, you know, seven or eight feet a year. But all trees, some don't grow that fast, but all of them grow, and they're working. And they, uh, in the, in the wintertime, in the fall, the leaves begin to die, and they fall off, and the tree begins to store energy for the coming year. And it enters a time of rest and relaxation. Now, God established this in the beginning, this principle, not only for the creation, but also for man. God created the earth in six days and rested the seventh. We learned Sunday night, this past Sunday night, as we talked about the, uh, the prospects for the return of the Lord uh, and uh, how that this uh, has to do with prophecy. But there, 
Uh, God was teaching man something. And we find that the Lord gave Israel a Sabbath day. And he, uh, he said, now you're to work six days and do all of your work, and on the seventh day you're to rest. Now we're not under that law of the Sabbath, and uh, I'm glad for that in a way. Although it's beneficial, I believe, and good for the Bible said a man was not made for Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. God said, I did it for your benefit and your welfare. But uh, there's nobody keeping the Sabbath today. The Sabbath happened, by the way, was yesterday. This is not the Sabbath day. This is the Lord's day. And... Uh, uh, there's people who, uh, who believe you have to keep the Sabbath to go to heaven like the Seventh-day Adventists. And, uh, but they don't keep the Sabbath. Uh, they, only, they only keep parts. They say you've got to keep the law. And, and nobody keeping the law today. Uh, they pick out the parts they think they want to keep or ought to keep, and then they forget the rest of it. But... Uh, uh, you know, on the Sabbath day, you were only allowed to travel a certain distance. I think it's about a half a mile each way, maybe. And, uh, you know, most everybody lives about half a mile from the church here, but about everybody else lives farther than that. And uh, Joe, she lives a little closer, I guess. But, uh, uh, you know, we couldn't even come to church if we was on the law of the Sabbath because that'd be too far to travel on the Sabbath day. But God gave it there to Israel for a time of rest. And not only was their day set aside, but also every seventh year the land was to rest. God said, man needs to rest one day out of seven. And by the way, you'd be better off if you'd done that. I'm not against... Uh, using the Lord's Day as a time of rest and refreshing and relaxation, uh, that's all right. And uh, I believe the Lord's Day ought to be honored, by the way. But uh, uh, he, he also had a Sabbath for the land. He said, you plant your crops for six years, and then on the seventh year, you let it rest. You let the land lie out. You don't cultivate it. You don't plant any crops. You let it lay out every seventh year. And so God established this for man. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter number 6, maybe you'd like to turn there, Jeremiah 6, and uh, verse uh, 15 and 16, page 779, in your Schofield Bible, Jeremiah 6, 15 and 16. And he asked the question, <clears throat> Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken 
to the sound of the trumpet, but they said, we will not hearken. I was uh, talking to the funeral director this week, and he was talking about how years ago the river would freeze over, winters were a lot worse, and, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of winter, seem like, anymore. But, uh, you know, we think, we talk about the old days and how it used to be. And he says here, as for the old past, where is the good way? And walk therein. Notice what he says you'll find. You'll find rest for your souls. But they said, we we are not going to walk in that way. We don't want the old ways. We want our new way. And we're not interested in the old message. We want a new message. And therefore, we have a society today that is very troubled. And they don't have any rest. And they don't have any peace. Because they've rejected God's way and God's word. And uh, we don't want that way. And there's no peace people's hearts anymore. The winter time represents a time of rest. In Matthew 11, the Lord says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, the yoke of the devil and the burden of the devil is hard to carry. He says, you that are burdened and you that are, you that are weighted down with sin, come to me and I'll give you rest. And I'm glad that he'll do that. And then in Mark 6, 31, and he said unto them, come yourselves apart into a desert place And rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Well, uh, that's real busy, isn't it? They were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. And the Lord called the disciples away to a place where there was no people. And he says, come and rest a while. I received a letter this week from a missionary. And he said he was just absolutely burned out. They talked about that, about burnout. And and, uh, he's been traveling and going for for years now and uh, different countries, different parts of the world. And, uh, you know, he's burned out. Can that happen to a preacher? Yes. It can happen to you too. You know one thing I think, and I've referred to this before, but one thing that's killing us is we're too busy. And we don't have that quiet time anymore and that, uh, that time with God. I think of, the, of uh, the way they designed the old houses. They did it for different reasons. Uh, in those days, they didn't have air conditioning, and they put porches, uh, you know, some houses all the way around the house, some halfway around the house, or certainly all the way across the front of the house. They had their porches. And porches were, were used. I've got a small porch on my house, 
I don't know what it's there for, really. <laughs> uh, it's really never used. Don't even need it, <laughs> as far as that goes, as I know of. But in those days, porches were built because they were used. And when the work, day's work was done and the supper was cooked and the dishes were washed and the necessary things were completed, and people went out on the porch. They didn't have TV and they went out on the porch and they sat there in the rockers and they talked or they just sat there quietly and they read the word of God and they had time to think. The word uh, muse means to think. The word amuse means not to think. And we're amused to death today. And they had this time with God and time to pray and time to think and time to consider. And we don't have that. Examine your own life. How much time do you really have personally to sit down and think and consider things. Probably very little. We wonder why we're not spiritual. It takes time. Listen, I learned years ago, if I have any power when I preach, I've got to have time with God. I just have to have it. And if you receive much of a blessing from the services, you're going to have to make some time out there somewhere in your schedule. I mean some time when you're not bothered, some time when you can get alone, some time when you can commune with God and you can fellowship with the Lord and God can become real to you. And if you don't have that, you're going to die you're going to suffer from burnout and you're going to give up. God made winter for rest. Then all of that, but also for revelation. You know, when the leaves fall off of the trees, you can see more. We were traveling up to the funeral yesterday and... Uh, uh, going from Spruce Pine over to the church there. And I looked over on the left, and I've been on that road, you know, lots of times. And I looked over on the left, and I saw a house that I didn't even know was there. And I drove by it, untelling how many times. I did not know that house was there. And one of the reasons I didn't know it because it's, uh, there's a lot of trees, a lot of trees in front of this house. It's kind of built back in a hollow there, back in behind the trees and all. And I'm sure in the summertime you cannot tell that there's a house there. With all the leaves on the tree and everything, the tree is, is hidden and you cannot see it. But when the leaves are off, lo and behold, there is the house that's visible. And it reveals things. And so wintertime is a time of revelation. 
Paul writes in Galatians 1 and he said, but when he pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. He said, God saved me and God called me to reveal Jesus. You know, that's God's purpose in our life is that Jesus may be revealed in us. Are we doing that? Does people see Christ in our life? Is Jesus revealed in, 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 in the way we conduct ourselves, in the way we talk, in, in our everyday life? That's the purpose of God for your life and mine, is to reveal Christ. And the purpose when we think of winter, we, we, we think of trials. You know, why does God allow trials to come? The Bible said the trial of your faith being much more precious than the gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, God allows trials for different reasons. One reason God may allow trials is that God may reveal himself through the trials. That was true in the case of Job. You know, Job, uh, Job had done nothing wrong. And, uh, but the devil accused Job before God and the Lord allowed the devil to test Job. He took all of his wealth. The devil said, why, the only reason Job serves God is because of the blessings that he gets, the benefits that he gets from serving you. If you take that away, he'll quit serving you. Would you quit serving God if you lost everything you had? The trials reveal what we really are, don't they? But God was using Job to reveal what was really in Job's heart and to reveal himself through Job. And he lost all of his wealth. He lost his, his children. Brother Bill's talking about the tragedy of, of having to give up a child. I've never, I don't, I don't know what that's like. But I can imagine. But I read in the word of God about a man that lost all of his children. And one day, he lost seven sons and three daughters. Ten children, lost them all. Lost his health. Lost his friends. Lost the confidence in his wife. Here's a man that is alone in the world. A man at one time was the greatest man in the East. And here's a man that's went from this place of prestige and honor and respect. And here's a man that's despised. That's everything's gone. Why'd God allow that? God allowed that so he could reveal himself through Job. And so Job could reveal Christ. <laughs> and Job did that. Job was not without fault, as no man is without sin. But Job retained his integrity. And he said, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. <laughs> now, it's easy for me to say that now. 
It's easy for me to stand here when everything's well, for the most part. It's easy for me to maybe make a statement like that. But when you're Job, when you're down and you're sick, and it's all gone, I mean it's all gone. I was talking to Brother Mooney out in the hospital. And he said, for the last three years, nothing has went right. And I could t- I know some of the things that he's gone through, but I'll not talk about those. But when it all goes wrong, and you're laying on the hospital bed dying with cancer, you know, it's one thing we're sitting here healthy and everything's going pretty smoothly. It's one thing to say, I'll do this and I'll do that. But when you get like Job and he's down there and he's dying and his friends are against him and his kids are dead and his wife said, why don't you curse God to die? Job said, if he slays me, I'll not turn against him. Though he slays me, I'll trust him. What a man. One reason I want to go to heaven is I want to meet Job. I want to talk to him. Though he slay me, I'll trust him. If that had never happened to Job, would that story be the blessing it is to us today? No matter how deep, how dark it gets, how hard it gets, how hard the trial gets, I can always say there's a man that had it harder than me and he made it. He was victorious. Now God knows what's in her heart. Sometimes God needs to let us know and trials many times reveal what's in our heart. Luke 12, 2 said, There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. My yard was absolutely covered up with twigs and branches and, and whatever blown out of the trees. And I went around with my wheelbarrow and gathered those up, put them downstairs, and it makes good kindling. <laughs> but the wind had blown all, uh, you know, you look at the trees and you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that all that junk was up in those trees, all that dead limbs and stuff. God sent that wind and blowed that out. Sometimes he sends the ice and the snow and it, it uh, weighs down on the tree and it breaks out the dead limbs and the, and the stuff in the, in the trees and uh, all that's necessary so that won't be a burden and, and uh, a hindrance to the growth of the tree. Brother Thomason talked recently in, in one of the uh, you know, the Sunday school opening is about, uh, about the wind, the, the, the importance of the wind and all that the benefits of it. Sometimes we think, we look at that and, and uh, you know, we, we grumble a lot about the weather, we complain about the weather, we complain about the rain, we complain if it's not raining, and we complain about the wind, and, but all that's necessary, all that's important. And the trials and the burdens of life, though we may not understand, they're all important. 
In the book of John 15 and verse 2, he said, Every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And then verse 3, he said, Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. He said, I, he purges it. We're in the wintertime now. I have a cousin that has an orchard. And every winter, you know what he has to do? He has to prune those trees. He has to cut away and cut away and cut away. And if you saw him pruning those trees, you'd say, man, you're going to kill those trees. You're ruining them. What's wrong with you cutting all the limbs away? But if he doesn't do that, you know what will happen? He has to spray and all this stuff and fertilize. But if he doesn't do that, the tree grows up and, and, uh, and it just becomes a mess and has little old apples on it that no, nobody wants to eat. You know, the apples are, are small and, and there, there's insects in the apples, worms and whatever. And uh, uh, he has to do all this pruning and cut it away. For what purpose? What's he after? Fruit. That's what sells. Nice, juicy apples. Nice, pretty apples. It's what people will buy. They won't buy it if it looks bad. They won't buy it if it's got worms in it. And he's done it for the fruit, for the good of the tree. And that's what God does in their life. Sometimes he has to send trouble get rid of the dead limbs so we'll bring forth fruit. Are you producing fruit? You know, God's ultimate purpose in, in our life, God's ultimate purpose is that we produce fruit. You know what the fruit of a Christian is? You say, I know what that is. That's love, joy, peace. No, that's not the fruit of a Christian. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Man and woman gets married and they produce fruit. What is it? Children. Another human being. God's purpose in our life. That's why we're here. That's why we're not in heaven already. We're upon earth. We'd all be better off if we was in heaven, wouldn't we? The Bible says that. Heaven is far better but God wants us on earth to produce fruit. Brother Absher was with us here uh, recently on a Wednesday night, last Wednesday of 1992. And I hope I, you know, it challenged my heart. And I hope I would to God that every, every family in this church would get challenged. He said I, his challenge was, I challenge every family in this church to find another family and work with that family throughout the year and see if you can't get them in church and get them saved if they're not saved. You think that'd please the Lord? You know, that would, that would probably accomplish more than all the visitation and everything we do. If every family of this church would be challenged and say, there's a family that I'm going to try to get in church this year. I'm going to pray for them. 
I'm going to visit with them. I'm going to invite them. I'm going to invite them to church, invite them to lunch or whatever. I'm going to work with them, and I'm going to see if I can't get them in church. Now, it would probably involve some sacrifice, maybe, as, as what I read there in the beginning. I'm going to give up TV one evening. <laughs> probably be better if you gave it up every evening. I'm going to give it up an evening. And I'm going to go visit. I'm not going to sit, and wa- sit at home and watch TV. I'm going to go out visiting. I'm going to be busy. I reckon I was busy every evening this week, <laughs> this past week. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to, I'm going to go see someone. I'm going to visit with someone. I'm going to reach out to someone. I'm going to sacrifice. To reach somebody so I can be fruitful. God wants us to do that. In the book of James, chapter 1, in verse 2, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith works with patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, one in nothing. And then finally, winter. It's a time of regeneration, or maybe I should say rejuvenation or renewal. Now, after this time of rest in the winter, God's creation, the trees and all, they're getting ready for a new job because the springs are coming. And when the spring comes, those buds begin to swell and the leaves will burst forth and the tree will begin to work and it will begin to grow and work and it's rejuvenated and renewed for a new season and new work. And you know, sometimes we need to be renewed. David prayed in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In Isaiah 40, 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And 2 Corinthians 4, 16, For which cause we faint not, but though we're outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We need to spend time with God, folks. We need to spend time in the Word of God. We need to spend time in church. You know why we come to church? You know one purpose of being in church? is so we can be renewed and rejuvenated to go out there in the world and do the job. Listen, the work's out there, not here. It's not where the work's at. The work's out there. This is just filling station to get renewed for the work ahead. You know, as I think of this and I thought of this message, there's a scripture in Jeremiah 8, 20. It says the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Think of that. The spring of the summertime is a time of work, a time of bearing fruit. But notice he said the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And that's going to be the way it's going to be for many people one day real soon. I want you to turn to the Song of Solomon, chapter number 2, right after Proverbs, the Song of Solomon.
Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then the Song of Solomon, page uh, 706. I want to share a scripture that's such a blessing to me here. The Song of Solomon, chapter number 2. The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, and verse 10 through 13. This is the bride speaking here, Shunammite woman, to Solomon. But it has a greater message. Listen to what it says in Song of Solomon 2, verse 10. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs. And the vines with a tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. You know what the prophetic message is here? Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to the bride. He said the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. Rise up my love, my fair one, and come away. You know, soon, real soon, the long winter will be over. And Jesus is going to take us out. One thing about the ministry that I've always felt so helpless in, and that is trying to comfort people during their time of death and sorrow. Because you see, death is an unnatural thing. God never intended that people die. That's why people fight against death, the human body. They, you know, it amazes doctors many times. I visit people and I see them, and their body is absolute nothing but skin and bones. And yet they go on and on and on. It's that drive to live, that desire to live, that natural fighting against death because death is unnatural. God never intended that we die. We live in the land of the dying, but one day, thank God, we're going to the land of the living. We live in a world of sin. It seems like the more you fight against sin, the more sin we have. The more you try to stand against wrong, the more seem like it comes. A land of sin, a land of sickness, a land of dying, a land of broken hearts, a land of heartache and sorrow, a land of nursing homes, funeral homes, cemeteries 
And much of my ministry has been involved in those things. The things caused by sin, the sickness and the dying, and all that goes with it. We're in the wintertime now, so to speak. One day, springtime's coming. Just as surely as this winter we're in, physically, naturally, is going to end with the spring. Just as surely, the winter time of sin, one day is going to be over. We'll go home to be with the Lord. One day the Lord's going to call, say the winter's over. The rain's over. It's the time for the buds to put forth. The flowers appear on the earth. The singing of the birds has come. The voice of the turtle is heard in our land. That's the day I'm looking for. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.21, Do thy diligence to come before winter. Well, he's coming before the winter of the tribulation. Thank God for that. Let's bow our heads, please.